Um, so since I oversee youth, uh, I was actually at this junior high retreat this weekend, came from there this morning. Um, I was at the junior high retreat, and then last week I was at the senior high retreat, and I spoke at both retreats, and here I am preaching this morning. And so a lot of people are like, wow, Dave, are you, are you okay? Like, is it good? Um, and, and honestly, uh, I'm actually pretty pumped. Like, I'm, I'm very excited to be here because this morning, um, you know, when I was driving down, we were up in the mountains, and I was driving down at like, you know, 6 a.m., um, there was a, just this beautiful sunrise, and like, the clouds were just gloriously put together in pink and purple, and it was awesome. Um, and, I, and that was refreshing to me. And then, and then honestly, the sermon and the talks that I got to do for junior high and senior high, it's not like, I'm not going to be blowing your minds with anything like theologically deep. I get to talk to you about the gospel today, um, and that excites me. So, so here we are. Um, I did want to share a little bit. Back when I did, um, I had my own business, uh, which was comedy, so if you want to call it that, um, I was a comedian, and so, you know, we would do shows, but there was also, like, a lot of, like, detail stuff that I had to do, like, organizing the, the, the trips and the flights and all that sort of stuff, and then even, like, the banking, um, which, once again, I was a comedian, so there wasn't a lot of that going on, but um, I, uh, I, uh, I would always, get, I'm the kind of person, I like to go into the bank, um, I like to go in and, like, talk to the tellers and all that sort of stuff. I know there's apps and there's, like, the drive through but I, I'm a people person. And so I would always go into the bank, and um, I always took my kids, and they love going to the bank because if you, if you know TD Bank, they have lollipops, right? And little-known fact, uh, the lollipops at TD Bank are purple and green. They're all cherry-flavored. So there you go. It's a little insider secret. Um, but uh, my oldest son, Nolan, I just, there's one specific time when he was, like, two years old. Uh, we went to the bank. Uh, did what I needed to do. He got his lollipop. We went back out to the car. And I had this 2008 Toyota Camry. And what was weird about that vehicle was that um, the little beeper thing, this th- this guy, it kept, like, falling off the keychain for whatever reason. It would always fall off. So as I was putting Nolan into his seat, he's eating his lollipop, I could hear, like, it fall off. And I heard it, like, hit the ground. And I also heard the beep and the click. The door was locked. Now, my, my current car won't let you do that. If the door is open, it won't lock. For whatever reason, this car, you could lock the doors with the doors open. And so I was like, oh, I'll get that. And I finished buckling them up. And, and I wasn't like just instinctively, I closed the door. And it was kind of a hot day. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I've locked my son in the car on a hot day. So I'm like freaking out. I'm grabbing the, the handle, pulling on it. And then I'm like, Nolan, Nolan, like, go open the door. And he's just sitting there like, and I'm like, Thanks, man. And so I just start getting more and more amped up. And I'm like, don't know what to do. And I'm freaking out. Finally, I'm like, okay, Dave, you got to go into the bank and you got to call the police. So I walk back to the bank. I go to open the door and I realize I'm holding a key. Did did you know that there's a little hole on the side of your door that if you put this in, you turn it, it unlocks. Now, this was this is this is surprising to some people. It was it was actually news to my 2008 Toyota Camry because when I did it, the alarm started going off. I was like, "What are you doing?" Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm like freaking out, uh, and the whole time I've got the answer in my hand. Like the, the 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 answer to all my problems in that moment is in my hand, and yet I'm so focused on the problem, the circumstance that I just totally ignored it, um, and I wonder. Um, how many of us are, are the same way? Um, you know, if we've come to know Jesus and have his salvation through the power of the gospel, 
then, then that not only justifies or, or forgives us of our sin and gives us the righteousness of Christ, it also sanctifies or transforms us uh, through the Spirit into the image of Christ. And so if this is the case, then why do so many of us allow our, the circumstances of this life or our struggle with sin um, to cause us to, like, freak out or even turn away from the Lord? Um, I would venture to say that much like me with the key in my hand the whole time, uh, we get so caught up in our circumstances and our sins that we um, forget the power of the gospel that's available to us. And so today, we're going to be looking at um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, Paul is actually encouraging Timothy today. But I would also, I also believe, especially as I was like prepping through this, that Paul is encouraging us um, to recognize and remember what this gospel is. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace that you have poured out on us, um, not just today, but every day. And, and Lord, I pray right now that you would, um, yeah, just speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to hear your gospel today, Lord. Um, let us not just hear it uh, academically, but let it, let, it, let it just penetrate to our hearts. Let us um, meditate on, on what it is that you have done for us, Lord, what you continue to do for us. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would allow that to change us. And so be with me today as I speak. Um, let it be coherent. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we're going to jump right in here to 2 Timothy. My, my passage that I'm looking at today uh, is verses 8 through the end, um, I believe 18. Uh, and so right off the bat, we're just going to look at the first verse because uh, there's a lot in here that kind of kicks us off. Now we uh, know that the, or I'm in 1 Timothy, Whoop. 2 Timothy, there we go. Uh, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so we see in this verse, Paul is, is you know, calling out to Timothy to not be ashamed about the testimony about the Lord or about Paul being in prison. And so why would, why would Timothy be ashamed? Well, I mean, the thing about Paul being in prison, that makes sense. Um, the, the, uh, his mentor, his father in the faith, uh, the, the, the person that he looked up to, that he learned from, that he served with, is now sitting in a, a Roman prison. And, and at that time, there were even a lot of people pointing out that Paul's imprisonment uh, was proof of the failure of his ministry. Um, and so I'm sure Timothy kind of observing all this and then hearing all this, it would be easy for him to become, you know, scared and ashamed. Um, reading a little further in the passage to kind of even add on to that, we see that um, in verse 15, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Um, so we don't really know uh, what caused the people in Asia to so drastically turn away from Paul. Um, but it would appear that Phygelus and Hermogenes had enough of a hand in it to call them out. Um, we do know that from 1 Timothy that there were, um, there were people who were, like, perverting the gospel message in Ephesus. Uh, there was actually these two guys, Hymenius and Alexander, who were kicked out of the church for this. And some commentators wonder that in, if, if instead of coming to repentance, they actually took their false message to uh, Asia. And, and were, were tearing, turning people away. And, and whether they were teaching some sort of works-based gospel or some sort of popular, uh, prosperity gospel, um, it would be easy for them 
to point at Paul's situation in prison and say, well, if he were right with God, then he would be succeeding and, and not sitting in jail. Um, so you could see uh, this could be you know, problematic for Timothy. Uh, another reason that the message of the gospel uh, was something that, that was shameful at that time in particular was just the sheer fact that Jesus died on a cross. Like for, for the Gentile people of that time, dying on a cross was reserved for like the worst punishment for the worst people. And so it was just a completely shameful way to die. And so they would say, well, how could a God or some sort of savior die on a cross? That doesn't make any sense. And for, for the Jewish people of that time, they probably were thinking the same thing. And they also even probably had Deuteronomy 21, 23 in the back of their minds too, which stated that anyone who uh, hung on a cross was cursed by God. So for the Jewish people, they could say, well, how, how could you say that the Savior or the Messiah would hang on a cross? Because that would mean they're cursed, he's cursed by God. Um, and, and yet, as we kind of continue to talk about this in a little bit, we'll actually come to see that that, that was the point. Um, and so for us, that might be a little hard to resonate with because we're, we're historically far removed from the reality of the horribleness of, of the cross. And so I would, I would think about, like, what makes the gospel offensive today? And, and we're going to look at that a little later when we, we talk about suffering. So in this verse, why shouldn't Timothy be ashamed? Um, well, you may notice that in the beginning, there's a, there's a therefore um, in the beginning of verse 8. And so that always means you like to go back a few verses and see what, what is the therefore, or therefore, or whatever cheesy thing we say. Um, you know, what, what is that all about? Um, and so going back to verses 5 through 7, he says, um, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so I know Anthony kicked this off last week and and gave a lot of background, but I want to take a a few seconds to um, dig a little deeper into the person of of Timothy. Um, As we see, uh, his, his grandmother, uh, Lois and his mom Eunice were believers who passed their faith down, down onto him. And so I think it's fair and safe to assume that they, they may have come to faith while Paul was on his first missionary trip to, to Lystra. Uh, and you read about that in, in, uh, Acts chapter 14. Um, and so perhaps Lois and Eunice and maybe even a young Timothy witnessed Paul and Barnabas come into their town and heal a man who was crippled from birth. And then they, they also perhaps witnessed that the townspeople tried to like worship Paul and Barnabas as gods, and, and they said, no, 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 and they directed them towards the true God and shared the gospel. Um, they may have also witnessed when the town kind of turned on Paul and dragged him outside the city and stoned him to near death. And then believers came and gathered around him, and they prayed, and he got up and went right back into the city and continued to preach the gospel. Um, those are kind of the highlights of the power of the gospel that was going on uh, that they may have witnessed. But I often wonder if there was um, more on a personal level for Timothy and his family. Because we are given some details if you kind of put some of the puzzle pieces together throughout Acts and even in Timothy. Um, we learn in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy, Timothy's mom 
was a Jewish believer, and his dad was a Gentile. Now, I kind of assume his dad was not a believer, because it doesn't specify it. It specifies his mom was a Jewish believer, and his dad was a Gentile. So I don't know. Um, But with that, I wonder, um, and this is conjecture, um, I just wonder how the gospel affected his mother and her relationship with his dad. Uh, I also wonder how society may have treated Timothy. Uh, How did the Jewish people look at and treat him as someone who was half Gentile or part Gentile? How did the Gentile population treat him as someone who was part Jewish? I imagine Timothy probably never felt like he belonged. Um, Knowing then how Paul kind of had a heart for the Gentiles and even stood up to Peter in Galatians, for how Peter, you know, he stood up to him for how Peter was treating the Gentiles. I have to imagine, I wonder, if Timothy was able to see in Paul someone love him and his family as people made in the image of God and not just some half-Jew, half-Greek. Like, I wonder if this was something that Timothy experienced from the gospel, um, something that he had never experienced before in his life. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Timothy experienced that firsthand in his family and in his own life. So his faith and the Spirit of God who dwells in him are no reason for shame, no matter what the world says. So going back to 2 Timothy 1.8, I jumped ahead there. Um, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what is this testimony about our Lord to not be ashamed of? And what is this gospel that Paul is in prison suffering for? You know, I think the the gospel is is a term that we use a lot in church. Um, We say it a lot. We talk a lot about it. But but I I wonder... um, is it something that we firmly believe in and experience on a daily basis, or is it just something that we kind of academically understand? And I say that for myself. Like, I find myself at times just not really, like, like the key, um, thinking about it more academically. You know, often when I talk to students about their relationship with God, they tend to go towards, oh, you know, I don't pray enough, and I, I don't read my Bible. Um, I was talking to a student a few weeks ago, and I asked how they thought God was doing with them. And their answer was, well, I don't pray enough, and I don't read my Bible, and I don't go to church enough. And in that moment, I kind of realized something that was kind of funny, um, or ironic, I don't know. Uh, I, for the last, like, four years, four or five years, I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort going to seminary to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And in that moment, talking to that student, all I really had to share with them and even share with you now is, you know, how is God with you? Actually, God loves you. Um, he knows you through and through. He knows your strengths and weaknesses. He knows the depths of your sin. And in spite of all that, he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross in your place so that you can be his child. So his love and gift of Christ are not at all dependent on how often you go to church or how much you read your Bible or pray. Now, don't get me wrong. Going to church, praying, reading your Bible, and other means of grace are all very important things. But if you don't understand that they have no effect on the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and offers you new life, then they will become ritualistic burdens that eventually you become frustrated or even bored with. 
And so if those are the things that make you a Christian, then you're going to struggle when you don't feel like reading your Bible. You're going to struggle when you have a hard time praying. And when you run into issues with the church or you become tired of it, you're going to be tempted to walk away. Now, once again, as Anthony always says, don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, These things are very important things. Um, God will use his means of grace to strengthen our faith and to conform us more to the image of Christ. But they are not the root of our faith in salvation. And so we need to understand the role they play in our faith. So what is this gospel message that Paul is suffering for? Well, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, he says, this is the message, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. Actually, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he sums it up even tighter. I really like this verse uh, a lot. Um, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Um, that's, that's the simple message of the gospel. And yet, being simple, there's a ton of power in it. Um, as Paul says, uh, continuing in, in verses uh, 8 through 10, he says, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through that, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is that it has nothing to do with anything that we do and everything to do with God's own purpose and grace. And, and notice this. This wasn't like a plan B. It wasn't like God created everything, and then, and then he's like, oh, shoot, they ate the apple. What do I do now? That's not, that's not what Paul says. He says that um, God in his mercy had Christ's death and resurrection in place from even before the beginning of time. Paul, Paul expounds upon this in Ephesians. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, I know some of us can read passages like this, and we want to get caught up in some of the theological weeds of like predestination and election, but, but I would ask us to just, just understand this part of it. Um, the main point of what Paul is trying to say in these verses is that it's only through the love and grace of uh, God that we can have relationship with him. It has everything to do, or has nothing to do with how much good we do or the religious activities we participate in, but it has everything to do with God wanting so badly to save his people that he would make it manifest to us by sending his son into human history to die for our sins and raise again to give us new life. Um, John Stott says, Salvation is a majestic word denoting that comprehensive purpose of God by which he justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies his people. First, pardoning our offenses and accepting us as righteous in his sight through Christ, then progressively transforming us by his spirit into the image of his Son, until finally we become like Christ in heaven with new bodies and a new world. We must not minimize the greatness of such a great salvation. So, if it's not about our works or what we do, like what kind, do we have a responsibility then to this gospel? 
Well, going further in this passage in Timothy, Paul says, For which I was appointed, a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I think one way we tend to shortchange the gospel message is we, we make it seem like it's just this, like, get out of hell free card, right? Um, did you see that stock definition earlier? It seems much more complicated than that. It seems like there's much more going on than, oh, you get to go to heaven. Um, the gospel is, is way bigger. Uh, I had a professor in seminary who, who kind of explained it this way. Uh, he, he was looking around the class. He was a theology professor, looked around the class, and there was this poor young woman sitting in the front. And he goes, hey, you look about the age of my son. He's like, let me give you a proposal. He said, you can marry my son. And she sat there like, oh boy. And he said, he said, here's the deal. I'll provide my son. I'll provide the wedding and the ceremony. I'll even provide for the honeymoon. I'll give it all. All you have to do is say yes. You do it. And she's like, uh, why are you doing this to me? Um, and, and his point, he said, he said, no, she's not going to say yes to that because clearly when you get married, there's more to it than just, you know, oh, I'm going to go get married and boom, married and that's it. No, when you get married, you are, you are uniting with another human being. There is a life change that goes on. You now have different responsibilities than you had prior to marriage. Um, and so it's, the gospel is very similar um, in that it not only saves, but it gives us a holy, holy calling to live our lives for the sake of God's kingdom that is found in Christ. We, not, we may not be called to be uh, a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, but like Paul, but, but we are called to be God's children and serve him through the power of the Spirit. And, and while not all of us may be called to be full-time pastors, um, we are called to live out and share the gospel with people. And as we share our faith, though, we will face suffering. Because even though the matter of the physical cross may not be offensive to modern listeners, the, the, the point of the cross still brings offense. Uh, uh, John Stott again says, The natural or unregenerate man hates to admit the gravity of his sin and guilt, his complete helplessness to save himself, the indispensable necessity of God's grace, and Christ's sin-bearing death to save him. And therefore, he is inescapable in his inescapable indebtedness to that cross. People don't like to admit they're wrong, let alone hopelessly wrong to their core. The world wants to say that we are all inherently good, but that's not where the gospel starts. The gospel points us to hope in a savior, but first we have to admit we need saving from something. And so because of this, we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't respond positively to this message. Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 5 when he tells us that we are blessed when people persecute and revile us on account of him. And because of this, you know, he, we shouldn't be shocked um, that people might not respond well to this message. Jesus, this is a reality that Jesus himself not only talked about, but he faced. You know, I've actually lost friends, I've lost opportunities, and I've been mocked all due to the gospel and my faith in Christ. Now, with that said, 
this, this is the extent of, of my suffering. And, and honestly, it feels ridiculous to even call it that in comparison to the sufferings of our brothers and sisters around the world who face um, imprisonment and torture and, and death. But there are those who, rather than face any kind of suffering of any kind, would try to change the message of the gospel um, to make it more palatable for the world. Now, now I'm not talking about contextualization here, because I, I think, think it's very important to communicate the message of the gospel in a way that is applicable to the culture at hand. Jesus did this by talking about farming, baking, prodigal sons. But what I mean is, don't change the content of the message of the gospel. Um, often, people are tempted to change the gospel by getting rid of the concept of sin, or by making it seem like it's all about earthly success. Sometimes, People zero in so much on sin that they point uh, the point that they seem to be making is that it's all works-based. Um, Paul tells Timothy that in the face of suffering, he should follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And notice what's being said here. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. I'm pretty sure as Presbyterians, we love this, right? Like we want to get our doctrine down to the T and we're all about it. But remember, that's only part of the verse. Um, I think as humans, we tend to zero in on the part of the verse we, we really, is our personality. Uh, when I used to do shows in Ohio, um, we would drive, like if you've ever driven from North Ohio to South Ohio into Kentucky, um, there are these billboards along the way. Very uplifting. There's one that says, hell is real. And then like 10 miles later, there's one that says, the wages of sin is death. And then that's it. No more bill. I'm like, did you guys run out of money? Could you not get a bigger sign or a smaller font? There's more to that verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is eternal life. Um, and, and that's something that I want you to notice here. He says, um, there's a second part to this verse. Follow the pattern of sound words in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Brian Chappell says, um, I'm actually going to read it from here because I think it's a little mixed up here. Um, Paul was especially concerned about how it was done about Timothy's attitude, that it be with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The attitude with which Timothy maintained his orthodoxy was almost as important as the orthodoxy itself. How different church history would have been if the church in succeeding generations had taken this to heart. How different the church would be if this were true today. So protecting sound teaching and doing so in faith and love of Jesus, which would include grace, patience, not always having to win arguments, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can hold tight to sound doctrine, and we can also do that in the faith and love of Christ. So in closing, um, what does this gospel do? So like I mentioned before, the gospel isn't really a one-time deal. It's something that we experience and come to more of an understanding of every day as in the Holy Spirit. We recognize just how sinful we are and just how much grace Christ has poured out on us. The more we experience the power of the gospel in our lives and the more we see it being worked out around us, the more I believe we are strengthened. You know, Paul had experienced the gospel greatly. Uh, before the gospel, he tried to gain his own righteousness as a Pharisee, and he also persecuted God's people. Yet through the mercy and grace of God, not only was he forgiven, he was used by God to share the gospel. This was never lost on Paul, and I'm pretty sure he experienced this every day, um, the grace that he was given. 
And then the other thing, too, is Paul had a lot of legitimate um, reasons to walk away from the faith. Honestly, working with, like, teens and young adults, um, I hear people give these reasons a lot as to why they want to walk away from the church or the faith. Um, you know, for Paul, people who called themselves Christians undermined the message of the gospel and questioned his authority as an apostle. Basically, people in the church were being awful to him. In Romans 7, he shares the struggle, the constant struggle that he had with sin that he recognized in his flesh. Paul's circumstances were awful. Like, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, now he's sitting in a Roman prison all isolated. Um, And yet, in the midst of all that, he's not turning away from the faith. Instead, he says in verse 12, um, oh, I jumped ahead or something. Oh, there it is. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul was grounded in the gospel and the saving power of Jesus Christ so that he was able to separate his circumstances from his faith. The power of the gospel is what grounds us as we walk through this fallen world. When I was in college, I was in Campus Crusade, and we would go around and do like surveys and talk to people about faith. And every once in a while, I'd come up to someone who would say to me, like, oh, I don't, I don't really want to talk to you about faith stuff because I'm afraid I'm going to say something that's going to make you, like, leave your faith. And I was like, wow, you're pretty confident. Like, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, and and, and the, the reality was, like, for me, the gospel is not just this academic thing that someone can use some circular argument to explain away from me. Um, the gospel for me, Jesus Christ had shown me, has shown me his grace and love in ways that have changed my life. You know, that doesn't mean that I don't have doubts, that I don't struggle, or that I don't get frustrated or hurt by things. But what it does mean is that in the midst of those things, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is true and able to guard my salvation. So recognizing all that God has done and is doing out of his love in spite of a broken world and our broken hearts strengthens us as believers. I also believe that seeing the gospel being worked out around us strengthens us too. Uh, Look at 2 Timothy here, verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So, While it appeared that all of Asia had abandoned Paul and he's sitting there in a cell alone, um, we hear of this guy, Onesiphorus, who went to Rome and searched him out. It says that he searched earnestly. Like, why did he have to search earnestly? I don't know. Was it because Paul was hidden in some bowels of the dungeons or prisons? Was it because Onesiphorus didn't know the area? Was it because Nero had burned down half the place and it all looked different? Like, I don't know what caused that, but he had to do some work to find Paul. And he didn't let that hold him back. All we know is that he went out of his way to find and comfort Paul in his isolation. And I'm sure this was even to great risk to him to do so. Because Paul was not popular with the Jewish people or the government of Rome at that point. Um, Yet, out of the love of Christ, Onesiphorus sought out his brother. And I I wonder how much did this act of faith mean to Paul as he sat in isolation, abandoned by those he thought were his friends, and facing imminent death. The gospel draws us towards one another. 
We seek to come alongside those who are suffering, those who are rejected, those in need all, uh, in need all out of the power of the gospel in us. And I, I think that's why this, that, like, missions trips, um, serving in other communities is really important, not just for us to serve, but to be able to go into places and see what God is already doing. Um, and I also think it's important that we, we, we ask each other to hear the testimonies of what God is doing through the gospel in other people's lives. Um, our, our, our brother, Dale Roberts, I love him for this. Like, I went out for lunch with him, and he was like, right off the bat, he's like, tell me how you, how you, how you came to know Christ. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we talked, and he's like, I just love hearing people's gospel stories. And, and it's true. The more we see the gospel working around us, the stronger we get. I was reminded of that this morning um, when we were singing How Great Thou Art. Um, my, my grandfather was a quiet man, but he sang really loud. He had this really booming, deep voice. And I'll never forget, I, I mentioned this, I think, in a sermon a while ago. My, my grandmother passed away, and, and that was really, I mean, for my grandfather, that was super rough. Like, he was, you know, he loved his, his wife immensely. And I just remember at her funeral, I was standing next to him, and they sang that song, and he just belted it out at the top of his lungs. And so every time I hear that song, I am encouraged by the gospel working out in my grandfather's life that day. Um, it, is, it is an amazing thing how, you know, God will use the gospel, and, and, you know, we may hear it eight million times, but he will show us more and more of what it means to us every day. And so as we leave today, I would just challenge you, take some time, meditate, pray, think about what the gospel has meant to you, what it means to you. If you're here today and you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing something like this, find somebody to talk to about it that's here. Um, whether they're wearing a lanyard or, 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 you know, someone that goes here, I don't know. Um, find someone to talk, talk about it. And also, take the time to just look at how the gospel is being worked out around you as well. Because as you do this, as you recognize the gospel and experience it, God will strengthen you so that when you do face suffering and times of trouble, you will be strong and be able to say, I know in whom, whom I have believed. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you did not leave us in our sin. You sent your son to come to walk with us and then to die on the cross for our sins and raise again and give us new life. And Lord, then you, you fill us with your Holy Spirit and you allow us to be part of your kingdom and share your word. So Lord, I, I just, that excites me. Um, I pray, Lord, that um, you, would, you would just encourage us all today in your gospel. I pray that we would take time, even right now, as we, we head out into the parking lot or the lobby or whatever, and we would, we, would, we would encourage one another and even just share, like, hey, here's what the gospel is doing in my life today. Lord, um, work in our hearts, I pray. I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.